Let's turn in our New Testaments now to Acts 20, 17 through 38. Acts 20, 17 through 38. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as people who are prone to wander, and Lord, we feel it, as people who have a roving eye always looking for something, would you show us that what we need is right here. In Jesus' name. Amen. In our passage this morning, Paul is crying. He's crying. He is weeping. And the question is, why is he crying? (laughs) What would move this tough missionary to just out loud wail and weep? We read in verse 36 of Acts chapter 20. When Paul had finished speaking... He knelt down with all of them and prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Now, you thought Paul was this alpha male, uber action figure, type A missionary, go-getter, church planner, results-oriented kind of tough guy. And yet there he is crying with a group of elders in a really tender group hug. Yes, that is Paul. But why is he crying? He's crying because of two things, and I think it points to so much of where the meaning in life is for us as well. The things that speak to us the deepest, the things that move us at the depths. He is crying because of the people he loves, and secondly, because of the calling he lives. He's crying because of the people he loves and the calling he lives. First, he's crying because he loves these people. I remember asking my niece several years ago when she was finishing college. I asked her the question that I ask a lot of people uh, from here. So are you going to move back to Jackson when you're finished with college? Uh, So many people say, no way. Uh, Nashville, in case you're wondering, is the Emerald City. That Everybody's off to see the wizard and find meaning and everything. I call it the Emerald City. Um, but she said, no, I, I want to move back to Jackson. And I said, why would you want to move back to Jackson? And her am- answer was just so wonderful. She said, because the people there are just too valuable for me to leave. I was impressed. She was 21 when she said this. You know, so much of life is about the people we love and how valuable we allow them to become in our lives. Sometimes we don't let that happen because we're afraid that the closeness will turn to pain. At some point, we tend to guard our hearts far more than we should. Uh, We tend to play games when when we should be playing brothers and sisters, when we should be living out relationships. 
But when we do open up and let people in, wonderful lights are turned on in our hearts and our minds. And a synergy of sharing and meaning begins to grow within our lives. Things that need to connect, things that God meant to connect, begin to connect, and current begins to flow within our hearts and our minds and our lives and through our lives because we are indeed made to love God and to love people and to know and be known and to share in what is important. For Paul, Ephesus, these are the Ephesian elders, Ephesus was an incredibly important place in his life. And I'll tell you the reason why. It wasn't just the fact that it was the key city of the province of Asia. It wasn't just the fact that um, it, be, it would become the, the most important church in the early church after Jerusalem, after Antioch, and then later Ephesus. And Paul saw the potential. No, it has to do with the fact that he loved these people. It has to do with the unusual fact about his time in Ephesus. That this is the place that God allowed him a gift that was seldom allowed to Paul as he served God. This was the place that he stayed by far the longest. You see, Paul was a traveling evangelist. Paul was a missionary. Paul was a church planter. Paul was an apostle the, the word apostolos in Greek, the word apostle, means the, the one sent. And for Paul, it not only meant the one sent, but the one that keeps getting sent. And the one that keeps going. You know, it was said of Jesus uh, and by himself, foxes have holes and birds have nests to live in, but the Son of Man has no way where to lay his head. That Jesus was an itinerant teacher, Messiah, Savior, and Paul was like that. And, and just in the good providence of God, there, there came this little slice of three whole years. That's an eternity in Paul's meandering and, and, and the Holy Spirit sending of Paul everywhere. Where Paul got to be in Ephesus, and Paul had been there, and then um, Priscilla and Aquila, he actually went there with Priscilla and Aquila, and then they stayed there, and then Apollos came in and pastored that church. And by the time Paul got to stay three years, it really was a church. And they really had that sense that God wanted to do something through them. And they welcomed Paul and they loved Paul. And if you were here last week, you learned that he, he taught every day down in a place called Tyrannus Hall, which was a, a public place of lectures. You know, back then, philosophy and ideas... Uh, were important and the public square really was for religion and ideas as opposed to now. And so Paul would, would speak every day and Paul would, would lead that church and, and would love those people and get to know those people. And we read how they loved him and how it was so mutual and he made friends and not only did he make friends, he made partners that never left him in their hearts he, he god raised up elders to work alongside the apostle paul 
uh, in that church. And by the time Paul is on the docks crying because he's leaving, that's what our text is about. A whole lot of, lot of water, a whole lot of water was under the bridge by then. A whole lot of life had been shared in that place with those people. Not just God's people, wherever they may be, but those people that he loved. Happy things, hard things, scary things. Amazing things. You know, Paul wasn't just the apostle in Ephesus. He was a sinner among sinners. He was one who taught grace and tried to live it and tried to work it out with those people. And they loved him for it. We'll see this in a moment. You know, um, it's those relationships that made him cry that day. And particularly the losing of them in what we might call the everyday sense of the relationship. Now, you know, friends are friends forever when the Lord is the Lord of them and we go different places and we'll always be friends and we'll always have each other in our hearts. And, you know, if it's Humphrey Bogart, we'll always have Paris or something like that. You know, it just, it just begins to sound a little bit like it's not really a friendship that's going to continue because you know friendships really are about proximity they really are about people that touch other people people that work out life together in a place with one another it's about knowing you you knowing me it's about our weaknesses that we overlook that we work with it's about the forgiveness that we give one another because we love one another because because you're too important not to forgive, not to want to learn with, grow with, pray with. It's where we cry our tears. It's where we laugh at things that happen. And we laugh with people and at people because we know them. And it's expressed through their personality and the, the interesting and funny ways that they say things that bring just dash and spice and wonder to life. Yeah, there is that everyday sense in the, because life is lived, is it not, in the beautiful ordinary. See, Americans don't like to hear that. We, 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 don't, we want to think about the next adventure, and we should. That's fine. No problem. We want to think about what we ought to have. We want to think about the things we ought to be doing right now when life is lived by grace in the beautiful ordinary. And we need to embrace the beautiful ordinary, because if you don't embrace the beautiful ordinary, you won't embrace the people who are there. And you won't have friends. And you won't have tears of meaning. And the lights won't come on. And now Paul is leaving. And we see this anguish of heart. You know, they, um, they walked on, on foot. I guess that's redundant. They, <laughs> they, they walked two days from Ephesus to meet him at Miletus. We think that um, one of the people among Paul's little group there was from Ephesus. He may have been the runner. Maybe they hired a runner to go say, 
you know, we're at Miletus. I, I need to tell these guys goodbye. And so a runner went and got them. Two days later, you know, they were offloading cargo off of the ship, onloading cargo. And they walked two days to be with Paul. And I want you to, to see kind of the camera. I want you to see like an ancient port. And, you know, the docks aren't big and industrial like they are now. It's just a kind of a place where boats tie up. And these boats aren't real big. I mean, they're, they're not little bitty rowboats or anything, but they're not like the ships that we think of. And, and, and people that are on those ships definitely got to know each other, etc. But I want you to see all these burly sa- sail- sailors unloading cargo. I mean, this isn't a place like the docks where you have tender moments you know sailors aren't really known to be while they're being loading cargo tender but i want you to kind of zoom in with your your lens on this and and there's a little group of people right there on the edge of the dock and and they are just huddled down together and they are just wailing they are weeping men men weeping out loud yes men weep men and they are tears of relationship, and they are tears of, of knowing, and they are tears of loving, and they are tears of already missing you. I'd like to paraphrase Paul's words, and this is the only time I'll paraphrase, but, but I, I felt that if I could paraphrase it, I might could pull it together, and this is from the verses, it's not just me making it up just to kind of pull it together so that you might get the emotional context of this. Paul says to them, roughly, in verses 17 through 21, God has really done some wonderful things in our midst, and I have been so happy to walk with you and to lead you, and I love you. And God was the one that gathered you together through the gospel to be a church, and then you became elders And you served with me. And he says to them, I hope that you have seen Christ in me from the first day that I stepped foot here in the province of Asia. I've sought to live the truth among you as well as to teach the truth among you. I've taught you in church publicly. I have pastored and taught you from house to house. I have gone public with the gospel in the marketplace to the Greeks and in the synagogues to the Jews. And guys, I've given it all I have. And and I, I have done it with the good hope of finishing the task that the Lord has given me. And he gave you to me also as partners and friends. Are there people who are valuable to you? You know, I pondered these words in verse 17. You, you, and this is the actual scripture, you yourselves know how I've lived among you from the first day that I stepped foot in Asia. You know, and I won't take too much pastoral liberty here, but we pastors certainly see a lot in this passage we're not apostles, but we feel very deeply in, in these ways. And, and I kind of get this, you know. Um, I remember my first days here with you as a pastor. And I remember hoping that we could know one another. 
and that we could try something that's seldom tried with pastors, and that is to actually live together in redeemed community as believers and not just people who do things together for Jesus. And I remember wondering what you would think of me. And I remembered deciding that I would risk it. And you are valuable to me. And I speak for the rest of the staff. I I do not speak only for me. And I have not been disappointed, and I am grateful, and they are too, for the love, the friendship, and the partnership that we feel. And that this text speaks of that. You are so valuable to us. Paul says, you are so valuable to me. You, specifically you. So why is he crying? He's crying because of the people he loves and the priority of relationships. But he's also crying because of the calling that he lives. You see, you add to all this wonder of relationships, you you add to that the joy of serving in Jesus' church together. In what will truly last forever when everything else disappears. You add to all this the purpose and the gifts that you, me, we specifically, individually bring to this picture, this mosaic that's being painted into a beautiful church, a beautiful kingdom of God that is coming. It is more than wonderful. This isn't just bowling buddies. This isn't just tennis buddies. This isn't just golf buddies. This isn't just art buddies. This isn't just hunting buddies. This is friendships around the gospel. This is what God is doing in the world that is of primary value. This is how God is gathering a people for himself through the good news, through grace, because he wants to set his affection on those people. And he wants to infuse those people with love and meaning and purpose as well as the wonder of knowing and being known together. You see, we are brothers and sisters. This is the context of family. And it's locking arms around what is truly most important in pursuing ministry. And and, and it has to do with the fact that, that you will risk it. You'll risk relationships even when you're disappointed and you will forgive and you will restore it and you will because these people are just too valuable. You'll risk bringing your gifts even though you're not exactly sure how that they will show up, how effective you will be. You will risk putting it out there with us because you want to be a part of what God is doing and he has specifically gifted you in that way and you matter. But you've got to risk it. Yeah, it is learning together, sharing together, praying together, raising children together in Christ. It is word, prayer, kingdom, ministry. It's bigger than us. And that's why it's better than golf buddies. 
It's glory. Not just good times. It's good times. And it's hard times. And everything in between. It's life. Under the grace of God. And it's seeing lives changed. And it's seeing how we change when we give ourselves away to one another and with one another. That's what Paul's talking about. He's weeping because of them. He's weeping because of what he has been involved with them in doing over the last three years. And there's going to be a severing of the everyday relationship and the doing of that ministry with those people. Paul talks to them about his calling and then he turns and says, before I leave, let me talk to you about your calling. About his calling, he says, you yourselves know. This is one of the great phrases of Paul. You know, Paul's being attacked all the time. People were coming in saying he wasn't a real apostle, saying he didn't know the Bible very well, that he preached the gospel that wasn't really the gospel, and all these things. Paul was constantly criticized and under attack. You can read about it in the epistles. So Paul's always saying, you yourselves know. (laughs) You remember. This is what's real. This is how I actually was. This is what I actually said. You read, if, if you read the epistles of Paul with that mind, you're like, man, he had to kind of explain himself a lot. Yeah, because he was under attack a lot from false teachers. And this is one of those you yourself know. Remember how it was, he says. This is real. You yourselves know. I served God like a willing slave to Jesus Christ. And I'll get to verse 22 in a moment. I served with humility. Meaning it was all about Jesus and not about me. I served with tears. I have not held anything back from you. This is what I do. And I'm glad to do it. I I taught in public. I pastored house to house. I testified about the gospel. I paid the price. I I risked, risked the violence from the Jews and the Greeks a few chapters back in a different place. But that's okay because this is my calling from God. And this is the way I want to live my life. Even if it means I have to leave you now. And we get to verse 22. Where he begins to talk about his calling. And how his calling is leading him away from the everyday relationships and fellowship that he experiences as their calling has merged with his. Verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit. Do you see that it's a calling? Compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And he's still willing to do it. Why? Because he's compelled to do it. That's who God is calling him to be. And he wouldn't have it any other way. Verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. That's my only aim. Is to fulfill my calling. 
the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Verse 25, Now I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom, let me, let me read that again. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. This must have been a hard thing to say to them. He says, you know, the only reason I'm leaving is God wants me to. And I'll never see you again. This is what I do. And I will keep doing it. And then he turns and, and speaks to them about their calling as elders. Because the church is bigger than an apostle and a pastor. The church has elders and deacons who locally are raised up, who serve. The church has continuity. And all kind of ministry leaders and servants along with them. You understand that in our celebrity culture, it's just wrong. You understand that the kingdom of God does not hinge on a person. Verse 28. He speaks to them about their calling. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit's compelling me to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's telling me I'm going to face imprisonment, all this stuff. This is what I'm going to do. And my life is worth nothing to me unless I can fulfill the calling that God has given me, which is to preach the grace of God everywhere. The Holy Spirit has given you the sheep in this church. These particular people keep watch over yourselves and the flock which the Holy Spirit, see the parallelism of call, has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he has bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and they will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise to distort the truth in order to draw away the disciples after them. And so, be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And what was he saying? These people matter. You must love them. He's saying to them, you need to be believers and you need to be elders. You need to be believers. You need to keep watch over your own lives. C.S. Lewis said, true the true Christian's nostrils are to be continually attentive to his own inner cesspool. <laughs> Let me read that again. The true Christian's nostrils are to be continually attentive to his own inner cesspool and not just the cesspools of others. And that is incredibly important for us to walk in the same truth and grace, for us to do our repenting and our changing, as well as our growing and our stretching and achieving. Be believers. But then he says, be elders. Oversee. Elders, oversee. Watch over. Keep watch over the sheep. Shepherd the flock. Feed them. Right, shepherds? Feed them. Water them. Lead them. Protect them. Specifically, he says, you know, you know I've told you all about it. They're coming. Satan's coming after you. It's okay. This, these people have 
the appointment of you. He's on the docks with these people, about to shove off forever. And he's saying, this is a life worth living. This is a calling. All of it. Under the leadership. That wolves will come in from the outside. They will not spare the flock. Wolves will grow up from the inside. And there will people who will try to distract from the main message. And Paul then tells them, he says, here's what I want you to keep doing. I want you to keep living in the grace of God. I want you to keep living the way we have lived. And this is verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified Paul is saying this, remember, this isn't magic, this isn't the impossible dream, you just walk with God, you just take your calling seriously, and you just love one another in the truth and grace. I commit you to God, I am confident that God can handle this. I commit you to the word of his grace that will continue to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those that are sanctified, that truly love him. I love that. That's why he's weeping at the docks. Because he's been living the grace of God in relationship, in the context of ministry. He goes on to say, I'll just kind of go over it quickly, how um, he really hopes that they feel that he has given more than he's taken. This has to do with the fact that Paul, even though he makes the case that it doesn't have to be this way, and Jesus certainly made the case uh, otherwise, that Paul has decided to be a bivocational minister. He's a tent maker. And when he leaves, he basically says, "I I hope that you feel that I have given more than I've taken. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companion, and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, that we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, the people, the calling. And this is why the tears. Because one of the great things in life And it might only last three years, or it might last 30 years. And one of the things I love about Mississippi, and I love Mississippi, is it tends among people to set up this way more than the other way. In Colorado, people came and went. You start over with your friends about every three years because people moved back to Illinois or somewhere, you know? I mean, there were a lot of them from the Midwest. Some of them were from the South. A lot of them from California. They were coming from all different places. It was a constant churn. But but here's the thing. When the people and the calling, the people you love and the calling you have line up, it just doesn't get much better than that. Now, I realize you can meet people anywhere you go. I'm not trying to say that Paul's not trying to say his life's over or something. What he's trying to say is this. 
has been so incredibly unique for me. Because I didn't just set it up. I didn't just preach it up. I didn't just train it up and then leave. I got to live it with you. Thank you. And now I have to leave. Now, I remember growing up, going to the coast. I grew up about an hour and a half from the coast, really about 30 minutes from uglier portions of the coast. But an hour and a half from uh, decent beaches. And uh, we would go down to the beach, and, and you know, I'm, I'm one of those kids that loved to build sandcastles. I mean, I'm not architectural or anything like that. But, you know, you dig the moat, you do all this, and, and you know, you spend all this time. You know, the worst thing happens with building sandcastles. You know what it is. Is your mom or your, your dad comes and says to you suddenly when this thing is just, just built, come on, it's time to go. You're like, I didn't have a chance to play with this. <laughs> the Apostle Paul must have felt like that. And I think what he's saying is, in his tears, is I got a chance to stay for one time in my life. And it has meant so much to me and to us because the people and the calling have merged. The people I love, the calling I live have merged. And so let me finish by simply rereading to you that passage that we begin with. Verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with them. And he prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and they kissed him. But what grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then he accompanied them to the ship. You got to risk it. You got to risk relationship. And you got to risk calling. To live the life that matters. That would actually produce tears. If you didn't have it anymore. Let's pray. Lord, would you produce the beauty of the everyday. The wonder of redeemed community reaching out. Would you open our hearts to people. Would you help us. Lord, would you commit us to the word of your grace that builds us up. Would you work among sinners who need grace to live out the reality of grace together? Would you remove impediments and selfishness and pettiness and bitterness because people are just more valuable than that? Would you cause bigness rather than smallness? to happen in our hearts? Would you cause the lights, the dimmer switch, the rheostat to be turned up? Not only as we open ourselves and risk it with one another, but as we risk it in the kingdom, together with our gifts, together with one another. And thank you that your kingdom is coming, even through people like us. And would you teach our children through us 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.